Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Arike Okunbawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. A pleasant good evening, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish and Super Bowl 57 this Sunday. Pre-game coverage from Westwood One will begin at 2 o'clock. Game time, 6.30, right here on Sports Radio 960. WSBT in terms of the spread, one of the closest spreads in Super Bowl history. At last check, the Eagles favored by a point and a half over the Chiefs. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. Thanks for stopping by as we broadcast live on 960 AM WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the free WSBT radio app. And I've hit the button for our camera to be active. You can watch the show via the Twitch app. Eight minutes after 5 o'clock on this Monday, February the 6th of 2023. A full two hours of Budweiser's weekday sports beat tonight. Coming up on the program, our hat trick of opening topics. We'll get us started in just a moment. Patrick Engel, Notre Dame football writer, Blue and Gold Illustrated, will join me at 5.30 to talk about the departure of Notre Dame offensive coordinator Tommy Reese to Alabama and who might Marcus Freeman be considering as his new offensive coordinator. We'll get to that conversation with Patrick at the bottom of the hour. We have our Twitter question of the day later on this hour in the 6 o'clock hour. The My 5 question of the day, the top five wins of the weekend. Then we've got a conversation on the big matchup in the Big Ten over the weekend down in Bloomington as Indiana took down number one Purdue 79-74. to We've got a little sizzler to wrap up the program, some sports wagering thoughts for tonight's action. I know I apologize in advance being a St. Louis Cardinal fan, but I have to admit Seeing the equipment truck being, I guess, ushered out of Bush Stadium, heading toward Jupiter by Fred Bird today gave me extra excitement. This has been kind of a rough start to 2023 for local sports in terms of 
you know, what we cover here on the program, Notre Dame basketball, Notre Dame hockey have been major disappointments so far this year. Both teams are under 500. I can't imagine the last time that has happened, both of those programs to be under 500 in the same year. It's been a couple of decades for sure. So it's just been one of those ugh, tough starts to 2023 sports-wise, but maybe baseball ahead will provide us some optimism going forward. So it is good to see the trucks starting head toward their spring training destinations and players who have not arrived already. They're going to start arriving in the coming days. Pitchers and catchers then officially report, and away we go with spring training, which always reminds us that despite what that thing in Pennsylvania sees its shadow or not, hey, spring is going to be here not too far down the path. All right, let's get this program started. Our hat trick of opening topics on Budweiser's weekday sports beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Our first of three opening topics for tonight. The departure of Notre Dame offensive coordinator Tommy Reese as he joins Nick Saban's staff and will run the offense for the Alabama Crimson Tide. So in the same SEC Western Division, head coach Brian Kelly at LSU with his offensive coordinator Mike Denbrock. And of course for Bama, Tommy Reese leading the Crimson Tide offense. Now I was told by a source that Alabama was deciding between four individuals. Washington's offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, was offered the job by Nick Saban. He turned it down. The other three candidates, I'm told, were Cliff Kingsbury, the former head coach at Texas Tech and the recently fired Arizona Cardinal head coach, Jason Garrett. I don't understand the Garrett love in all these openings, let alone as a broadcaster. And Reese. So Reese was in some interesting company. Now it sounds like Saban was looking for a younger coach with an updated passing game. Use of the tight end like Georgia has done so successfully. Reese's offenses have centered around the tight end position, mainly because the tight end has been the best pass catcher. It's interesting to hear what I was told that Saban wanted a younger coach with an updated passing ID because I've been told by people who played college football that Reese's passing game offense is very simplistic and predictable. But Saban got his guy. I'm sure Nick can get a lot of good Brian Kelly information out of Tommy Reese as well. Not a surprise. Reese's dad and Saban have known each other a long time. That probably did not hurt as well. Notre Dame Heisman Trophy winner Tim Brown over the weekend put out some tweets in regard to the departure of Tommy Reese to Alabama and his thoughts on Reese running this Irish offense. So this is a guy that knows a lot about offense, great player at Notre Dame, Hall of Fame career, 
with the Raiders. Here's what Brown tweeted over the weekend. I will read the entire piece and maybe stop and add in a thought. Okay, Brown wrote, This is a great day for Irish football and maybe even a better day for Tommy Reese. I've been around a lot of offenses, but the Irish offense last year, with maybe the exception of the North Carolina game, was extremely predictable. That's what I was told, too. Seeing the offense struggle told me at least two things. Tommy was very dependent on Kelly, and more important, he didn't have the ability to dissect a defense. What we saw is what is called hero ball. You have a player, in parentheses, mayor, who is better than the person covering, and you throw him the ball a zillion times. Make him the hero. If that doesn't work, you lose. I was at a couple of games where it took everything in me not to go knock on the booth window and say, Give me the call sheet, LOL. I truly wish him well. He's going to need it. Let's go Irish, end quote. That was from a series of tweets from Heisman Trophy winning Notre Dame receiver Tim Brown. Well, again, from people that know a lot more about football than me who have played at the college level, Described it as simplistic and predictable. That's what Brown said about the Irish offense. Tommy was very dependent on Kelly, is what Tim Brown wrote. I would say there is some validity to that because Reese had never called plays at the collegiate level until Brian Kelly elevated him from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator. So absolutely, Tommy was reliant on Brian Kelly. If he wasn't, he should have been. So that's not a surprise. Now, the hero ball comment, I think you can look at that different ways. I think there is a part in all of us that watch football, that understand Michael Mayer by far was the number one pass catcher on this team. And if Tommy did not, have plays designed to get him the football. He should have been fired on the spot. So I'm not sure Tim's right on there. I get the hero ball thought. But if Tommy Reese doesn't dial up plays designed to get Michael Mayer open, that'd be a major negative for this football team, and they probably would not have gone to a bowl game if that was the case. So I agree with the first part that Tim said, not necessarily the second part. Now, you can't deny the fact Notre Dame had 12 yards of offense in the second half against Navy. That's unexplainable. So, Tommy gets a great opportunity. Sounds like he got a boatload of money. You know what? Awesome. Great for him. Am I surprised Saban hired him? Honestly, yes, I am. Because... I think he still has a lot of room to grow as a play caller, and he's going to do it under the microscope of Alabama football and Nick Saban and the SEC. I will say this. An individual who coached against 
Tommy Reese within the last two years made mention that if the original plan doesn't go well, Tommy is not to the point where he is good at pivoting to a new plan. And you know what? To be fair, he's very early on in his play-calling career. So I would say that is something that you grow out of as you gain more of experience, and that may go back to the thought of many. Not only has many people said a first-time head coach should not be at Notre Dame, although Marcus Freeman's hoping to prove that thought wrong, but also a first-time coordinator should not be hired at Notre Dame. Now, if Tommy Reese started in the MAC, wherever, he gains experience before coming here. So he was truly learning on the fly and had a great teacher in Brian Kelly to lead him along the way. But I think there is some predictability and lack of pivoting at this point in his career that he's going to have to figure out. Maybe Nick Saban will help him improve in those two areas. I know Nick Saban wants more out of the tight end position. He's watched Georgia dominate opposing defenses with the use of the tight end. And my gosh, Tommy Reese used the heck out of the tight end right here in South Bend. And now he'll take his talents to Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa, Tommy. So what about here in South Bend? Heather Dinich, who covers college football for ESPN, tweeted out today, Marcus... Freeman is in the process of vetting names and talking with potential offensive coordinator candidates over the phone. The target timeline is to bring candidates in for on-campus interviews by mid-late week. There is some conjecture that there's already some people lined up to be brought into South Bend to talk to Coach Freeman about the new offensive coordinator position. This is me speaking, not anybody else, but I enjoy reading other takes on Notre Dame football from my fellow media members covering this Fighting Irish football program. And up to this moment, there has not been one name I've read in an article that excites me. This is just me. Now, you may see a name like, wow, that would be awesome. I just personally have not heard a name yet that I'm like, home run. Let's let's go do this. Let's get this done. I'm still waiting for that wow name to be placed in front of me. Can't wait to hear when some names are dropped who are coming to South Bend to interview for this job. This could be Marcus Freeman's biggest decision of his coaching tenure at Notre Dame. I don't care if he coaches 10 years. This might be his biggest decision. This is a major, major opportunity to bring in an individual that fits your vision to what Marcus wants on the offensive side of the football. Marcus has admitted he's still learning about the offensive side of the ball despite being a defensive coordinator. I think a lot was on the plate of Tommy Reese last year. And it's a chance for Marcus to bring in the guy that shares his vision to what the offense will look like. And then the offense hopefully will gain an experienced coordinator this time that can hit the ground running with this system, and away we go. But it will be fascinating to see the number of people that are interested 
in this job and who Marcus Freeman brings in. Definitely to be continued. Topic number two, ACC Women's Basketball Showdown. Duke takes down Notre Dame at Purcell Pavilion yesterday, 57-52. The Fighting Irish up eight in the second quarter, up 40-35 in the third quarter. From that point, outscored 22-12. These are two top ten teams that combined to score 15 points in the fourth quarter. Duke outscored the Irish 9-6. Notre Dame head coach Neil Ivey on the loss to the Dukies. You know, unfortunately, fell short today. Um, but I know that it's part of it's part of our growth. It's part of our journey. And sometimes that journey, and when you lose the way that we lost today, it's never easy. Um, but it's always something that you can take from it. That's what we're going to do. Talked about it with the team. Um, as far as individual performances, I thought Maddie was amazing. Played every minute this game. Um, gave me everything. Left it on the floor. Sony as well had to do a lot. You know, both of them had to require them to do a lot. Um, so I just you know, really appreciate the way that they led us. Um, but defensively, we struggled scoring in the fourth quarter, six points, nine points. Um, and defensively, we, we had some lapses that really cost us the game. Offensive rebound, we finally got to stop um, not being able to capitalize in transition. I thought that was the difference. Um, that Dukes, um, their guards, their guard play, um, you could tell a little bit more mature as far as their leadership, um, as far as just having more experience at different points. Um, and again, hats off to them, but again, I just really, really, um, really grateful for this turnout today and what it means for us. Um, and we will move on and we will bounce back. Well, I mentioned that fourth quarter, neither team able to get a lot done offensively. Notre Dame became what I think I would call very stagnant with the basketball. They went two for 13 in the fourth quarter, scoring those six points. Yeah, you know what, it was, um, <clears throat> some of those opportunities were in transition. We didn't get a chance to capitalize with those. Um, some of our half-court shots, I thought they were good looks, a little bit short. Um, you know, we felt like we did a good job of finding the open person. We just didn't nail the shots. Um, we got some wide open looks. Um, I didn't feel like we got great offensive rebounding. I felt like we were one and done. Um, that really hurt us, because we were, you know, we got wide open shots at points, but just didn't have anybody crashing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, Normally, when you go on lows like that, you got to rely on your defense. And again, they only scored nine points, but every stop matters, every possession matters. Well, Maddie Wellspeld showed up 15 points, seven rebounds in 40 minutes. Sonia Citron, 14 points in five boards. Olivia Miles playing with foul trouble, 31 minutes of action, 11 points, five rebounds, two assists, three turnovers. The Irish, they're going to have issues in the tournament if they don't hit outside shots. And without Dara Mabry, where are those shots going to come from? They went 3 of 11 from the three-point line. They were minus four in rebounding. They had 14 turnovers. They were minus three points in the paint. And their bench outscored by 17 by this Duke basketball team that jumped them in the rankings. New poll today, Duke number nine, Notre Dame Number 10. The Irish, 18 and 4, 9 and 3 in the ACC. They'll host Pittsburgh Thursday at 7 on Live 99.9. And our third and final hat trick opening topic for today men's college basketball Saturday, right here on WSBT Radio. Wake Forest, a slight road favorite at Notre Dame, proved to be an accurate prediction odds wise as Wake Forest. Took down Notre Dame 81-64. The Demon Deacon scored 27 points in the first half. How about 54 in the second half? 
In the second half, Wake Forest, 17 of 29 from the field, 58.6%. 11 of 19 from the three-point line, 57.9%. Nate Leshevsky led the Irish with 18 points and seven rebounds. Took the most shots. Like to see that, 7 of 15. My issue, J.J. Starling, who has been so productive offensively, the fifth most shots taken in that game, four of nine, eight points, three rebounds, no assists, no turnovers in 31 minutes. Cormac Ryan had 12. Marcus Hammond and Dane Goodwin combined to go six for 24, 16 total points. After the game on the Notre Dame Radio Network, heard right here on WSBT Radio, the voice of the Irish, Tony Simeone, caught up with Irish head coach Mike Bray. I thought you guys contained them in the first half, but man, 54 second half points. They really looked like the team that was advertised coming in. They they hit 14 threes. What was the toughest thing they did against you? Some of the threes they made in the second half. I mean, and, and you know, they can really shoot it, but, uh, you know, those were backbreakers. And then, you know, the icing on the cake is the, the guy banks one, so it kind of breaks your spirit. So I don't think we were great defensively. They made some tough shots. Um, and, and we couldn't score enough. We had really, we're going to have to make 10 threes any night against any ACC team. Four ain't going to cut it. wanted to ask you about one guy that came off the bench, Matt Zona. I thought you gave you some yes. really energized minutes again with Campbell and, and Lubin out, a guy that's been in the program for a few years now. He at least had to be a bright spot for you to see the way he competed out there today. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Dom and, and Ben are out, and who knows how long they're out. And, Actually, the one thing about Matt Zona getting the opportunity, he's always healthy. He's got a great attitude. He's a great teammate. Um, he actually deserves yeah. to play. And I think the rest of the way, no matter the health of the other two guys, we're just going to play him because he deserves it. Yeah. And he's been a team guy. You, you guys are getting set to go on the road yeah. uh, to Atlanta. A team you guys already beat once. I imagine it's one you really want to pick up on the road. What are you going to focus on here the next couple of days? Well, you know, we're going to have to, you know, we, we've had our, we've taken a lot of punches. There's no question about it. This group has, and um, you get a chance to go on the road. This is a team we beat, but for us to win an ACC game, um, we're going to have to be good offensively, better defensively, and, We'll head to Atlanta and try and get one. All right, Coach. Thank thanks. You. Appreciate it. Thank As you. always, after the game, Mike Bray. Irish now 10-13 and 13 overall, 2-10 and 10 in the ACC, as Tony and Mike referenced. Notre Dame at Georgia Tech Wednesday at 7, 6.30 pregame on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And that is a look at our hat trick of opening topics, the departure of Tommy Reese and the search for a new Irish offensive coordinator, the Irish women's basketball team loses their showdown with Duke 57-52, and the Irish men lose by 17 at home to Wake Forest. Your time is 529. Coming up next, more on Tommy Reese leaving for Alabama and who possibly could be on Marcus Freeman's list to bring in as new Irish offensive coordinator. We'll talk about these Notre Dame topics with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Patrick Engel next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We're gonna win. Don't wanna be a loser, gonna win. The man in the end zone, touchdown Notre Dame! Lorenzo Styles on the post route. Gives to Esme, leaps into the end zone, touchdown Notre Dame! Ball caught, touchdown! What a catch! 
by Jaden Thomas. Hands off the dig. There he goes. 20, 15, 10. Touchdown, Notre Dame. We're going all the way. We're going to win. Notre Dame football coverage continues now from Sports Radio 960 AM WSPT. Here come the Irish. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. 25 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I am Darren Pritchett, joined by Patrick Engel, Notre Dame football writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated. Check out all of his writing at blueandgold.com. And if you're not a member of the Blue and Gold Nation, then we'll tell you how you can become one at the conclusion of our conversation. But right now, we're going to focus on Notre Dame football hot topics, which, of course, front and center, the departure of Tommy Reese. He's now the offensive coordinator at Alabama. And Marcus Freeman now searching for his brand-new offensive coordinator. Patrick, good to be with you on this Monday. How are you today? Doing great, Darren. I thought we were in the clear of a coaching search, but or a staff turnover, <laughs> I should say. But uh, here we are, and the carousel never stops. I was joking with someone in the media today. You know, we don't have a whole lot to write about with Notre Dame men's basketball and hockey right now, so we need a little drama. Well, I guess we have a little drama now as the Irish are searching for an offensive coordinator on February the 6th, which is kind of unique. And we'll talk about that in just a second. First, Patrick, I would love to get your take on – the job that Tommy Reese did at Notre Dame, as I've talked to several people on the show about Tommy Reese, there so many people had so many different opinions in regard to Reese and what he did for the offense and recruiting. What is your takeaway from the Tommy Reese experience at Notre Dame? I think the numbers are what they are, and those are good, above average, uh, not elite or great if you want to call like if your standard for great is top 15 in scoring or yards per play uh, Notre Dame did not uh, get there uh, I think both years when you saw Notre Dame have an experienced quarterback the offense was generally very good just when you look at the scoring and yards per play numbers compared to nationally and within power five teams uh, the opinion of him in coaching circles is definitely higher that than in Uh, the fan base and that's not to say like one is right and one is wrong or one's an idiot and one is is smart but I think that's pretty clear to see when you look at some of the jobs that he's been tied to with Nick Saban getting him Brian Kelly wanting him to follow him Miami making a run at him uh, Sean McVay not being shy about like I really think highly of Tommy Reese uh, and, and others in there and obviously coaches know some things and they can identify coaching talent and I think it's kind of the two things that are pretty, pretty true and don't necessarily uh, one disqualify the other is that uh, Reese is a very talented coach, but, you know, through three years, uh, talent hasn't equaled, you know, elite results. And, and I think that's what Notre Dame fans have wanted to see. And even though there have been some things that maybe held that back that uh, aren't uh, Reese's control, like QB injuries or uh, to a lesser degree uh, of his out of his control offensive lines, but problems back from 2021 there. Uh, he's still the offensive coordinator, and, you know, he puts, helps put together a lot of those rosters. So I, I think it's fair to have expected more, even though you figured, okay, he's a 30-year-old coach with clearly has some talents, as you figure 
like it's someone you still wanted to bet on. So I, I'm not going to sit here and say it's not a, a loss for Notre Dame or that he's not a good coach or that Nick Saban is an idiot or anything like that. But <laughs> uh, it's it not like Notre Dame is losing the, the Royals award winner per se, but right. is losing a, a coach who's viewed very highly and who's coaching talents, even to some fans and, and to us who got a little bit closer look at it, I think we're pretty clear. And I'm going to ask this next question to your colleague, Mike Singer, who of course covers recruiting at Notre Dame on tomorrow's program, but I'll kind of dip my toe into the water with you on recruiting. I've always felt like the offensive coordinator is the leader of the offensive recruiting. Now, Marcus Freeman has taken over as the lead recruiter, lead recruiter for offense, defense, and I think Marcus Freeman has helped Tommy Reese as a recruiter the last year because pre-Marcus Freeman quarterback recruiting and wide receiver recruiting compared to now is honestly – Night and day. I don't know if Tommy Reese got better, if Marcus Freeman made him better, whatever the case may be. But you mentioned the numbers at Notre Dame were okay under Tommy Reese. To me, I think some of his failures in recruiting hampered his ability to produce more points and more yards per game. Your thoughts on that sentiment? Yeah, I I think he definitely, like, I mean, his two biggest quarterback recruiting deaths, if you ask me, were the two that he got since. Yeah. Uh, Freeman became head coach in, in CJ Carr and, and Kenny Minchie. And I, I think it's a little bit broad strokish that it's like everything before it was not up to snuff. I think there's a difference between not recruiting or like bad recruiting results mm-hmm. and uh, evaluations. Like there's no, no one was, would have said like, Oh, um, you know, I, I know, I know this was not entirely recent. I'm forgetting the exact timeline of Phil Dracovic's uh, commitment date, but I don't think anyone would have said that was a bad, like, recruiting win given the ranking. And when you hear Brian Kelly, they go up there and talk about him like he's Trevor Lawrence, but <laughs> obviously it didn't yeah. quite uh, pan out. So I think there's a difference there that's uh, kind of important to uh, acknowledge there. But, um, yes, I, I would imagine that just having – Marcus Freeman in the head coach's office when he's the lead recruiter, when he's emphasizing the importance of this every single day, just has a way of rubbing off on his assistants. And you know, that's now it, that certainly seems like it would have to help, you know, get a, a commitment from a top 50 quarterback nationally and DJ Carr and being able to pull off a, a flip and, and be persistent, but still sending the right message and getting a top 200 overall recruit to flip from another power five program in Katie Mechie. Patrick Engel, Blue and Gold Illustrated, my guest. Is it a disadvantage for Marcus Freeman to try to find truly the offensive coordinator he wants on February 6th? I think it's definitely harder just because you've seen a lot of these guys that might be viewed as splashy hires or were kind of the talk of the season for what they did. Some of them either either having signed big uh, extensions there, gotten a raise, gotten a head coaching job, already made that big move for a like a bigger salary at a, a bigger school or what have you. So sure. It is kind of a, uh, I think a, a bummer based on the timing that Notre Dame realistically probably isn't going to make a run at Garrett Riley from uh, TCU who got a very nice raise to go to Clemson as offensive coordinator. Uh, same thing with the Alex Golsh from Tennessee. He's now a head coach at South Florida. All of those things have kind of already trickled out. And in that case, I think it's, uh, difficult and that maybe your candidate pool realistically is a little lower you've seen some of the hot like g5 names uh, already go to power five schools like say uh, will stein from utsa now at oregon 
to use uh, one example there. And, and maybe those aren't total non-starters for Notre Dame, but it's a lot more of a lateral move when you assume that those guys have already uh, gotten a seven-figure annual salary from the place they just went to. So we'll see. And I, and I think that's uh, something that, yeah, you, you'd much rather – have tried to fill this, say, six weeks ago. I mean, we're just – like, think of South Carolina, who Notre Dame played in the Gator Bowl. Like, they had already had a coordinator exit in mid-December. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here Notre yeah. Dame is almost uh, two months later, uh, fresh off its, its coordinator exit there. But uh, I don't think that the available or realistic candidates out there are, like, devoid of, of good coaches just because there's no one on this year's Bryles Award finalist list or no one who was uh, coaching in the playoff, per se, uh, that's, like, out there to, you know, even if it won't be 10 out of 10 on the splashy scale that Marcus Freeman was when he got hired in Notre Dame two years ago as defensive coordinator. When you're Nick Saban and you have decades of coaching experience and you have come across – hundreds if not thousands of individuals and when you have a vacancy sometimes you can go to that list for example he hired a guy in Kevin Steele as defensive coordinator who apparently he's worked with a couple of times before Marcus Freeman one year as a head coach you know he's been a defensive coordinator at Cincinnati a couple of other places his list of people he's run across or is comfortable with is a heck of a lot shorter so I'm really curious to see the individuals that Marcus brings in to be interviewed as offensive coordinator. Now you put together a list of names that could be on Marcus Freeman's list of people to talk to, and you can check out Patrick's list at blueandgold.com. As you wrote the list down, is there anybody on the list you said, wow, that is a really interesting name. I'd be curious to see if Marcus is interested in them. Interesting, yes, and and like I mentioned, maybe like the equivalent of buzzworthy or whoa, like look at that higher flashy whatever, like talk of the this previous season like Freeman was. Uh, No, probably not, but still interesting names and guys who've had, you know, a lot of experience and have still have done a lot of good work, even if it, you know, wasn't on a a team that was, say, top five or six or whatever it might have been like Cincinnati was under Freeman. Uh, when he was the D.C. there. Uh, I think Joe Moorhead from uh, Akron, the current head coach at Akron, former Oregon, Penn State uh, offensive coordinator, is interesting in that, well, one, uh, we'll see if he will leave a head coaching job uh, for a coordinator job, even if it comes with a big, big raise, as you would expect that to be, uh, from a MAC job to a high-profile Power 5 coordinator. But uh, someone who's had a lot of coordinator experience, a lot of play-calling experience, I think those are two pretty much must uh, for Notre Dame in this coordinator search, considering uh, Freeman's not really going to add a whole lot there, having been a head coach for one year uh, and being a defensive background coach. Uh, you look at, say, some other guys who've been in places for a while, and this is to say, like, possibilities here, uh, whether they'd actually be for the job. This is interesting. Andy Ludwig at Utah, I think, has done a really good job the last few years with uh, that offense really becoming an explosive uh, unit there and how he's worked with uh, Cam Rising, the QB. Um, a, a kind of off-the-wall name, uh, Brian Johnson, the Eagles QB coach, uh, a guy who's been an offensive coordinator uh, at Florida uh, with Kyle Trask last season there uh, a couple of years ago. 
uh, Utah, I, I believe, as well. And then there's Sam Hartman's former offensive coordinator, Warren Ruggiero. Uh, even though you think of Hartman wanting to get away from that slow mesh, like he had mentioned, uh, Ruggiero's background is a lot more than that. He's been a coordinator uh, in uh, the FBS since 2009, and that scheme uh, was not uh, his go-to uh, when he was uh, back there. His list of quarterbacks uh, is or that he's worked with is really impressive. Goes beyond Sam Hartman for a way throwback. You might remember Josh Freeman, a first-round pick of the Bucks uh, about a dozen years ago. Rogero coached him at Kansas State. Um, so it's yeah, there's not necessarily a you know make a statement type of coordinator or hire out there, but a lot of, I think, still names when you look at it is like, this guy's more than qualified, and this guy's resume is still pretty good as far as the highlights of the, the offenses that they run. Patrick Engel from Blue and Gold Illustrated, my guest, discussing the vacancy right now for Fighting Irish Offensive Coordinator. Now, Patrick, you're an individual outside of maybe a couple of games you did not go on the road. You've been pretty much in every Marcus Freeman press conference since he was hired as head coach. And if you were not there, I know you went back and listened to them. So I'm wondering, your time listening to Marcus Freeman talk about the offensive side of the football, have you picked up on a couple of elements of what he's looking for and a new offensive coordinator based on the press conferences he has held as head coach. Yeah, I think that's been a really interesting kind of thing and what why this hire is so interesting as far as like what it's going to say about maybe his philosophy of what he thinks good offense is, even if he's not the one running it, because obviously he's spent a lot of time game planning against it on, on defense. Like, no, he doesn't know uh, much about play calling, but – He's seen offenses that have been really hard to defend. He's seen ones that have foiled his game plans, and he's seen ones that he's been able to uh, stop himself and see other teams stop on tape as he's prepped for them. So uh, I'm not sure exactly what the specifics of that are going to be, be and nor have the pressers offered too many clues on that, but I think you get the sense that he's going to value a strong running game just when you think of the O-line, D-line driven program thing that he said, uh, you know, thousands of times it feels like at this point. So, uh, someone, I think, with a history of, of that or someone who wants to really lean into that, uh, I think is going to be like uh, really under con- uh, consideration here. Uh, someone who's not particularly run heavy. is It feels like it might be a longer shot to get this job just because of how Freeman has wanted the offensive line to uh, be the foundation or a foundation of the just team identity here. Mm-hmm. And it, it's and I know the Ohio State game plan where he really talked about like run the ball, run the ball was so specific to that uh, specific week. And, but I'm just curious, I'm, what I'm most curious to see is how he goes about picking someone and what it says about what he believes versus when you compare it to what he said in his introduction as head coach when asked about his philosophy and says it's, his line was, it's what you've seen and what you've seen from, from Tommy Reese. And, and we'll see how much of that's changed, how much that's similar, or how much he's deviated from that a, a little bit. Uh, based on who he ends up hiring, or even if you hear some of the names of the finalists for the job here. Patrick, your best guess, when do you think we will have a press conference where the new offensive coordinator is out in front of the media and the fan base? Oh, a press conference? Who knows? It might be uh, start of spring practice. It could be uh, in mid to late February, or like in like a few days after the hiring. Like I remember last spring when uh, Al Golden was announced as uh, Notre Dame defensive coordinator, and within 24 hours, he's up there in the stadium media room. 
uh, along with a lot of the other uh, new hired, newly hired assistants last offseason. Uh, I also remember when Freeman was hired, we waited about a month to hear from him. So we'll see. But as far as timeline, I imagine this is not going to be something that drags on for uh, a month or so and that you'll see Freeman want to move fairly quickly because uh, spring practice is a month away. And that's not soon, but it's also not that far, far away to when you think of like getting to know players, getting them a little bit familiar, just giving them a playbook and kinds of things uh, before you get to spring practice where you, when you start install and you want it to be like, all right, hit it right away, not waste any time with, with the install there. So uh, I would imagine just kind of a best guess of say uh, within two weeks, there's a uh, hire made as far as when we hear from them, <laughs> that just depends yeah. on how Notre Dame wants to, to do that. So Maybe, it, and I would certainly not complain if it's within 24 hours like I was last year. <laughs> well, let's wrap up with one more, your best guess uh, answer to this particular question. I've not had a whole lot of time this afternoon to dig into this. I don't know if you have any feelings. I saw one of those college football Twitter accounts mention that Al Golden might still be in demand for an NFL coaching position. I think the, the tweet went on to say they expect Golden to return to Notre Dame in 2023. I'm just curious, have you heard anything along those lines that there is a chance Golden may not be back? Uh, as far as concretely, no, but I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that considering his work with the Bengals the last couple of years, uh, his overall career track record and, and really his six years in in the NFL where uh, you, you make a lot of connections there you work with a lot of uh, good individual players that he helped out and uh, just most recently I mean you've seen his Bengals linebackers uh, you know guys who were drafted not in the first round younger players that he kind of worked with early in their careers turn into pretty solid starters for Cincinnati and he's got a lot of uh, coordinator and, and head coach experience and play calling uh, experience now that he's like more recent play calling experience uh, at Notre Dame that he didn't have before he came to Notre Dame. So I would imagine that only makes it uh, more attractive as NFL teams are looking for potential uh, defensive coordinator candidates. Patrick, if Irish fans want the latest on the Notre Dame offensive coordinator search, they can go to blueandgold.com. If they are not a subscriber, how easy is it? You can join with our promo, uh, $29 that gets you through uh, spring practice, through post-spring, through fall camp, all the way up until the start of the season. You can find that link if you go to blueandgold.com. Limited time offer, so don't miss it. Uh, and, of course, before spring practice, uh, you'll be you know, that deal will get you, uh, if you join now, to the latest and all the coverage it will have when Notre Dame does indeed name an offensive coordinator. Patrick, thanks for jumping on board on this Monday. Appreciate your thoughts and your analysis on Reese and the new vacancy right now on the coaching staff as Marcus Freeman looks for a new offensive coordinator. So thanks for doing this, and I'm sure we'll be in touch again soon as more developments happen in these two storylines. Absolutely, Darren. Thanks for having me. You bet. Patrick Engel, check him out. Blueandgold.com, Blue and Gold Illustrated. My colleagues covering Notre Dame football do such a great job of covering the Fighting Irish, and we will have Mike Singer on tomorrow's program to talk Notre Dame football recruiting, the impact of Reese's departure, and what a new offensive coordinator will have to do as 
the new guy in charge of the offensive recruiting anyway. And then on Wednesday, the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, Tyler Horka, will be back on the program. So we'll continue to talk about the Irish searching for a new offensive coordinator. It is 5.54, more sports beat, and a sports update coming up in a moment on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. 559 at WSBT. Super Bowl 57 coming up on Sunday. Again, you can hear the game on WSBT Radio if you're out and about. 2 o'clock pregame kickoff at 6.30. The NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles, a slight favorite over the AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs. Philadelphia favored by one and a half points according to DraftKings Sportsbook. The over-under for this game has risen from... The first number put out, it now sits at 51 total points in the game. On the money line, the Chiefs are plus 105, the Eagles minus 125. I believe two times in Super Bowl history, we've had a game in which the favorite was only by one point. I can't remember the second, but I do remember seeing the game up at the old Pontiac Silverdome in 81 or 82, I guess it would be 82, The Bengals and the 49ers. Cincinnati was actually a one-point favorite over Joe Montana and the San Francisco 49ers. The game won by San Francisco, the first of their four Super Bowl titles in the 80s. So you have to go back a little while since we've had a one-point favorite in the Super Bowl. But right now, the Eagles are a a one-and-a-half-point favorite over Kansas City. I like Philadelphia at this point. I think their offensive line and defensive line are better in this matchup. And when you start analyzing a football game, besides the quarterback position, the ability for the big uglies up front to win a battle, if you can do that, gives you a heck of an advantage. So that's why I'm leaning Philadelphia at this point. Budweiser's weekday sports beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers. Locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend Sports Fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's, the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. And by Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt. Don't shop where new beginnings have happy endings. A sports update is on the way. And then we'll have our My Five question of the day, our Twitter question of the day. And we'll look back at the Indiana win over Purdue, plus some sports wagering talk to wrap up the program on Budweiser's weekday sports beat, Sports Radio 960 WSBT, South Bend. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. WSBT. 
613 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. Thanks for joining me on this Monday evening. A not-so-fun weekend for Notre Dame Athletics as the big winter programs went 0 for 4. The Irish men's basketball team gave up 54 points in the second half and lost to Wake Forest at Purcell Pavilion, 81-64. to Early on in the ballgame, Notre Dame led 16-4, to but Wake Forest got really hot in the second half. They knocked down in the second half 58% of their shots from the field, including 11 of 19 from three for 57.9%. Mike Bray's team falls to 10 and 13, 2 and 10 of the ACC. The Notre Dame women's basketball team dropped their ACC showdown with the Duke Blue Devils at Purcell Pavilion, 57-52. The Irish up eight in the second quarter, but both teams had trouble scoring in the fourth quarter. Duke did just a little better. They outscored the Irish 9-6. to The Irish 2-for-13 from the field in the fourth quarter. And the Notre Dame hockey team lost both of their games at Michigan State. Rough win for Jeff Jackson's squad, losing both of the contests to the Spartans. It's the first time Michigan State in hockey has swept Notre Dame in a weekend series since February of 2006. That's when the Notre Dame program was moving up under Jeff Jackson and the Michigan State program was still pretty solid at that time. Soon after, they would start dipping to some really low levels for them. It's been a decade since Michigan State hockey has been Michigan State hockey. They have a really good, exciting young freshman class that's going to be a nice foundation for their brand new coaching staff. So Michigan State is just getting started right now in the Big Ten Hockey Conference. Credit to them. They did a nice job against the Irish, picking up a pair of victories over Notre Dame. The Irish were shut out on Friday and lost 3-2 to two on Saturday. Pretty much all but putting the nail in the coffin for home ice for the Big Ten Tournament, unless they win three out of four in their final four regular season games. And to win three out of four, they have to beat number eight Ohio State this weekend at home. You got number five Michigan on the road next weekend. So it will be a tall order. And honestly, based on the weekend before and what I saw last weekend, I'm wondering how many of the high-end Notre Dame forwards will be playing this weekend due to injury. The Irish will take on Ohio State at the Compton Friday at 7.30, Saturday at 6. We'll have the call of both games on our sister station, Quality Rock 94.3 FM. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, we did not have a Twitter question of the day on Friday because Friday's show was only an hour. So we go back to recap Thursday's question which was asked before Tommy Reese left for Alabama. Thursday's question was, would you be disappointed if Tommy Reese leaves Notre Dame to become the Alabama offensive coordinator? We found that out, that he was in fact leaving not too long after that question. 
But before the announcement, 68% said, yeah, I would be disappointed if Tommy Reese left Notre Dame for Alabama. 32% said he can go. We'll find somebody else to do the job. And that search is underway right now. Thank you so much for voting. And today's question is already up on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. Here is today's question. As a Notre Dame fan, of these four choices, what is the number one requirement you have for the new offensive coordinator? Again, I'm giving you four choices, and whichever one you think should be the number one requirement, vote that way. Here are your choices kind of a hybrid coordinator with NFL and college coordinating experience. Choice number two, a coach that will emphasize the running game. Choice number three, at least five years of college play calling experience. And choice number four, the number one requirement, they are a great recruiter. The voting has started, and right now one of the four has 50% of the vote. The other three have combined for 49.1% so far. We'd love for you to vote. Go to Twitter.com and search 960 Sportsbeat, and you'll find, as a Notre Dame fan of these choices, what is the number one requirement you have for new offensive coordinator? NFL and college background, emphasize the run game, five years of calling plays, or a great recruiter. I'm really curious to see how this wraps up. We'll recap the voting on tomorrow's program, and we'll have a Tuesday question of the day ready to go from my Twitter account. It is 19 minutes after 6 o'clock coming up next. A look back at Indiana's massive victory over number one Purdue in Bloomington. Budweiser's beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'm catching on the hosel, right? Yeah, right, right. Moving my head. Yeah. Clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess. Four! Please, Darren Pritchett is now broadcasting. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Twenty-six minutes after six o'clock. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio, streaming live at WSBTRadio.com and on our free WSBT Radio app. Twitch video feed also available this evening. Well, the Indiana Hoosiers got a huge victory for their NCAA tournament resume over the weekend as they beat on their home floor the number one ranked team in the country, 
the Purdue Boilermakers 79-74 to was the final score. Indiana built a big lead at halftime. They put up a 50-burger on the Boilermakers, 50-35. to The advantage, Purdue came storming back, but three late turnovers really hurt the Boilermakers, and Indiana got the victory 79-74. to Who's your head coach? Mike Woodson on the victory over the arch rival, the Purdue Boilermakers. Well, again, you're not the number one team in the, in, in the country and not be able to make runs. And I thought we played extremely well the first half. I mean, from the start to the end of that half, our defense was really, really good. And, uh, you know, I, I thought we got a little stagnant the second half, and their defense picked up, and we didn't have a lot of answers for Big Edie the second half. I mean, he kind of had his way. But he's, you know, he's... He's a big load, man, for any team. And I thought for the most part we battled him, and then we made the plays that we needed to make coming home. For the Boilermakers, it had to be very frustrating. First to give up 50 points in the first half. Then you battle back. You get to within striking distance. You've got Indiana a little bit on the ropes. But then the turnovers late really cost the Boilermakers a chance contest. Boilermaker head coach Matt Painter on the loss to Indiana. Yeah, no question. That and the free throws and then those late turnovers. You know, we actually did a pretty good job in the second half of not turning it over until until the end. You know, we had three, you know, costly turnovers there at the end where we needed to get you know, a crack at it, but we really talked about how they pressured and got into you last year here. We had ten turnovers in the first half here last year, then we came back and actually took the lead in the game and then they made that shot at the end. But we just said like, you know, we can't repeat that. You know, let somebody beat you a different way. Like, you know, keep giving yourselves a chance and take care of the basketball. And so when you have 11 turnovers in the first half and the game before you had seven for the whole game, you know, um, you know, it just hurts you. But, you know, our guys were resilient. They, they battled back, but, you know, not good enough. Um, you know, not making our free throws, turning the basketball over. You out rebound somebody by 16. And you got somebody who gets 33 and 18, should win the game. You know, that, that, that should have been ours. But, you know, give them credit. They made more plays than we did down the stretch. Let me say this. I love this Boilermaker team. It's not even close. They're the best team in the Big Ten. Yes, I know Indiana beat them head-to-head in Bloomington on Saturday. But full body of work, Purdue is the best team in the Big Ten. I wonder if there is an argument with the Venture X card from in which Indiana is a team that could have equally as good a chance of advancing in the NCAA tournament. Now it has to be the good IU, not the one that we saw most of the year. Trace Jackson Davis taking his game to another level has made this Indiana team look a whole lot different. I just worry about one thing with Purdue, and that is freshman guards in the tournament in those big moments like we had in Bloomington where the ball was turned over. I worry about young guards in the tournament. So often nowadays, the teams that make the big runs in the tournament have the veteran guards. Not all the time, but we see it a lot. And if there's anything that concerns me about Purdue, it is those freshman guards, sweet 16, crowd going wild, 
Two minutes to go, tie game. Are they going to be able to handle that moment? Here's the good news. No one, no one has an answer for Zach Eady. Unless you can put him in a very uncomfortable place on the floor, he absolutely is dominating everyone. If you let him get set up in the lane, low block, you're done. You just got to hope he misses, but that, that's all you can do. And what a great, fun game as the two premier players in this Indiana-Purdue game both played extremely well. You had Edie in 32 minutes, 15 of 19 from the field, 33 points, 18 rebounds, 10 offensive rebounds. The negative, he did have five of Purdue's 16 turnovers, but Edie was just, again, a guy you cannot contain. You hope he misses if you allow him to set up in a great spot down low, pray he misses. Then you got Trace Jackson Davis in 39 minutes, hardly came out. 25 points on 9 of 19 from the field. He was 7 of 9 from the free throw line. Along with those 25 points, 7 rebounds, 5 block shots, and 3 turnovers in 39 minutes of action. You got to give some credit also for Indiana. Their freshman guard, Jalen Hood Shafino, a dreadful game his last time out. Boy, did he bounce back as the freshman guard finished with 16 on 8 of 15 shooting from the field. Indiana withstood that big push. They got the job done. They shot it extremely well, 52% from the field. 4 of 10 from 3, got to the free throw line 18 times, 83.3% for Indiana, who got a much-needed victory. Here is Mike Woodson, the head coach of Indiana, his takeaway on this victory. As we know, we're taking as a team, you know what I mean? We didn't cave. Um, you know, this team has, has had its ups and downs, and but... When we've been in ball games, we've been able to deliver. And I thought we got two big defensive stops coming down the stretch, and then Jalen hit two big buckets uh, to give us the cushion that we needed. And you got to have that when you're talking about trying to win at a high level. And I thought tonight they answered the bell. Indiana has had its ups and downs, but they have two of the best victories in the country this year a win at home over Purdue, and they still have that great win over Xavier on Xavier's home floor. That was very early on in the season. There have been some head scratchers along the way, but Indiana seems to be rounding into form as we head toward the month of March. Matt Painter gets another shot at Indiana at Mackey Arena in about three weeks. What is he looking to change from this game that may help the Boilermakers at Mackey in a few weeks? Um, not to turn the ball over. You know more than anything, and that's what we took last year from it. We we were hoping to get it physical in practice and, and really foul each other in practice and just make it impossible, whatever. But that didn't work. Um, I think it's the combination of their approach and also the environment that sometimes you know guys get emotionally drunk and lose it. Um, but you got to give them credit, man. They they do a good job of pressuring, and it's hard. Who cares? Like who who cares what's going on out there? You know what I mean? Handle it. Handle it. Like don't like don't worry about it. It's just a basketball game. If it gets physical, it gets physical. You got to be able to play. If they start calling things close, you got to adjust and be able to play. 
That's just part of it. We didn't do that. It took us until halftime to recalibrate and, and kind of get ourselves in a position where now we could focus. But then when, when we go to Zach and we make some perimeter shots, you know, it, it, the defense gets better sometimes when the offense, you know, flows. And you can't do that. You know what I mean? You can always rebound. You can always take care of the ball. You can always make your free throws. Like th those things there. And so we'll go back and watch the tape. And one of the dumbest things in the world is getting interviewed after a game before you watch tape. I know you guys are like, hey, well, you said this. You're like, I'm 60 feet away from half the game. You know, what would you like me to do? You know what I mean? But then I watch the game and I feel like, man, I argued this call and I argued this call. Man, I'm not even close. You know, and so you, you, you have a lot of that. So you got to be honest with yourself when things like that's what I'm going to do first. I'm going to be honest with myself so I can get better so we can get better. Matt Painter, Boilermaker head coach. They are still number one in the country despite that loss to Indiana, and they will get another shot at their rival in a couple of weeks down at Mackey Arena. But IU has the bragging rights right now, but for Purdue, still in full control of the Big Ten as everybody behind them is just beating each other up. Purdue has avoided that for the most part so far. Boilermakers are 11-2. and Rutgers right now in second place at 8-4. and and then your fun old five-way tie for third place at 7-5, and five, which includes Indiana, Maryland, Iowa, Illinois, and a Michigan team that's played a little better the last week. So we've got kind of a dogfight for the number two seed in the Big Ten tournament, but barring a collapse, the Boilermakers are going to win the Big Ten title. And coming up this week, you've got February 9th, the Boilermakers host Iowa. February 12th, a game at Northwestern. February 16th, in 10 days, they go to Maryland, a Maryland team they beat 58-55 earlier this year. February 19th, at home against Ohio State, Buckeyes have lost 9 of 10. Purdue barely got by Ohio State in Columbus earlier this year, 71-69. And then the final three for Purdue, February 25th in 19 days. They'll take on Indiana at Mackey, March 2nd, a very winnable game at Wisconsin. And the regular season ends for Purdue, and they may have the title wrapped up by then when they host Illinois on March the 5th. So the Boilermakers and the Hawkeyes, that could be a high-scoring, fun game coming up down at Mackey in three days. 6.38 is our time. I mentioned earlier in the program, I just haven't read or heard a name in the Notre Dame offensive coordinator search that excites me. It's been a lot of names so far. But now I see one that reportedly has reached out to Notre Dame. And I'm excited about this one. I like this. Finally, one I like. I'll tell you who that is coming up after the break. Plus, we'll get to our My 5 question of the day, the top five wins of the weekend on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leading off on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy is good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. West League champion. Adios! Walk-off home run! Eloy Jimenez! Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye! And maybe that's the winner! Here's Darren Pritchett.
643 at WSBT Radio. Darren Pritchett with you. In our business, as a media member, you as fans, we like rumors. It makes us stop and think, well, what if this happens or that happens? Do I like this person? Well, this is a interesting little nugget. I guess it goes in the rumor category. But Grace Remington, a studio host for 247 Sports, has worked in TV down in Tampa, which is a key piece of information. She put out a tweet about a half an hour ago, and here's what it says. Byron Leftwich reached out to Notre Dame about the offensive coordinator position last week. Per source, he and Marcus Freeman have stayed in contact as Leftwich remains a serious candidate for the job. Byron Leftwich played his college football at Marshall, was a really good college quarterback, spent some time with the Jacksonville Jaguars. As a player from 03 to 06, went to Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay in 2009 with the Steelers from 2010 to 2012. Picked up a Super Bowl championship ring when the Steelers beat the Arizona Cardinals. He was a backup to Ben Roethlisberger that year. And since retiring as a player, he has been a coach with the Arizona Cardinals as a quarterback coach. Interim offensive coordinator with Arizona in 2018 and was the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 2019 through 2022 and won a Super Bowl championship, Super Bowl 53, when Tampa Bay beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the Buccaneers offense struggled mightily this year, around 17 points per game. When you hear that, you're probably like, why would you be interested in a guy that, as a coordinator and calling plays, only averaged 17 points per game, and you had Tom Brady as your quarterback? Well, first off, if you watch their offensive line, good luck to any play caller trying to have success. He had to replace his all-pro center, Ryan Jensen, with former Notre Dame offensive lineman Robert Hainsey. That was a little hit and miss. They didn't have a running game. And Brady, with the pass protection struggling, he had to get rid of the football quicker than even he normally does, which is still the fastest in the National Football League. This is, a, I believe, a really good offensive coordinator and play caller who has had great success at the highest level. And I think it is a very intriguing name. And based on all the names I've read, he's number one on my list. Joe Moorhead. The head coach of Akron is intriguing. I believe he beat out Tommy Reese for the Oregon offensive coordinator job a couple of years ago. He's a name that's been kicked around a little bit, but left, which I think is very interesting. Don't just hone in on the lack of success Tampa Bay had this year offensively. Look at the entire track record. I think he is a very intriguing name. We'll see if he becomes a leading candidate for Notre Dame offensive coordinator. It has been reported that Leftwich has met with the Baltimore Ravens and their head coach, John Harbaugh, about their vacant offensive coordinator position. But again, according to 
this piece of information from Grace Remington that Leftwich reached out to Notre Dame about the offensive coordinator position last week. He and Marcus Freeman have stayed in contact as Leftwich remains a serious candidate for the job. That tweet from Grace Remington. You can see that tweet on my Twitter account. I've retweeted it at 960 Sportsbeat. 648 is your time. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat is being brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. And Pet Refuge urging you to adopt don't shop or new beginnings have happy endings show me the money we go with at WSBT. Darren Pritchett back with you. Our sports wagering segment called We Going to Sizzler. We did not have any picks on Friday due to the shortened show, so nothing to recap. But last week was a really good week, going 9-2-1. So we're off to a great start in the month of February with a record of 6-2. And for the year, already nine games over 540-31 and two, I'm kind of keeping track of the numbers. And right now, my best sport is NFL going five and three in the calendar year 2023. And right now, my worst sport is college basketball at 13 and 15. Let's see if we can improve those numbers tonight as we kick off our four Sizzler picks for tonight with a little ACC conversation. Tonight in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the Miami Hurricanes hosting the Duke Blue Devils. These two teams played a tight game in Cameron earlier this year with the Dukies pulling out the win. But recently, you could argue Miami has had as good of success against Duke than anybody except maybe Carolina. Miami has played Duke so tough through the years. Tonight, according to DraftKings Sportsbook, Miami a three-point favorite against the Dukies. Let's go with the boys from South Beach. I'll take Miami minus three at minus 115, so you bet 10, you win 18.69. Choice number two tonight, also from college basketball. This is a tough one. It's the Texas Longhorns visiting the Kansas Jayhawks. From top to bottom, the Big 12, the best conference 
in college basketball this year. Kansas right now, middle of the pack in the conference standings. That looks very, very strange. Jayhawks at home have been so invincible through the years, but they have not looked invincible at home so far this year. Texas coming to town for a big showdown. Texas is getting four and a half points at Kansas. I've gone back and forth on this this afternoon. And just because Kansas has been very inconsistent, I'm going to just take the points. I'll go Texas plus four and a half versus Kansas at minus 110. You bet 10, you win $19.09. Very limited sports schedule tonight, so let's go with a couple of NHL games. First off, good matchup in the Eastern Conference. Two teams from the state of Florida, the Tampa Bay Lightning visiting the Florida Panthers. I think the Lightning are ready to go on a second-half run. This team has been to three straight Stanley Cup final, winning two, losing one. I don't think they're going to get to the final this year, but they're going to have a big push in the second half. This team has too much talent and pride, and I think the Lightning on the road tonight will take out the Florida Panthers. So let's go Lightning on the money line at Florida at minus 115. You bet 10, you win 18-69. And my fourth and final pick for tonight from the NHL, it's the New York Islanders visiting the Philadelphia Flyers. One of my favorite people, former Irish captain Anders Lee, the captain of the New York Islanders, leads the Isles into Philadelphia. That city is all about Super Bowl 57. The Eagles and the Chiefs coming up on Sunday. So if the Flyers start struggling, that anxiety in the bodies of these Philadelphia fans are going to take it out on the Flyers tonight. I like the Islanders on the road on the money line at minus 130. Bet 10, you win 17.69. And I have an underdog pick for tonight. The underdog pick so far this year, 3-5. and five. There's one I like tonight from the NHL, the New Jersey Devils hosting the Vancouver Canucks, who just went through a coaching change, and they traded away their best player to the Islanders. I think the Devils will win by multiple goals tonight, so let's go with our underdog pick, the Devils minus one and a half goals against the Canucks, so New Jersey not only has to win, they have to win by two or more goals. We get that wager at plus 105, so you bet 10 you win $20.50. So the four picks for tonight, Miami Hurricanes minus three against Duke, Texas Longhorns plus four and a half against Kansas, Tampa Bay Lightning on the money line against the Florida Panthers, New York Islanders on the money line at the Philadelphia Flyers, and the underdog pick, Devils minus one and a half goals against the Canucks. Thank you so much for joining me on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. We'll be back tomorrow including Notre Dame football recruiting conversation with Blue and Gold's Mike Singer. We're approaching 7 o'clock at WSBT.
Super Bowl 57, Sunday, February 12th. Coverage starts at 2 on your home of the NFL. Sports Radio 960 WSBT, South Bend.